start conversations. Do it in a very safe way, obviously. But do it. Talk. Talk to people. Notice nice things. You know, if you notice nice things about people, you tell them. You feel great. They feel great. Share it. Do one tiny thing every day that scares you a little bit whilst being safe. Raise 1000 Voices is the podcast on a mission to raise the voices of the clever, creative and courageous women across the world. I am your host, Jacqueline Nagel, and I invite you to join me in conversations with women who will inspire and empower you as we explore just how to lift our levels of self-trust, to reclaim the narrative and to use our voice to go after exactly what we want, doing it with strength, power and grace. Welcome to episode two of Raise 1000 Voices, where we get to have a conversation with the amazing Maz Farrelly. Now, those people in the world who don't know who Maz is, let me give you some insight. Maz has been to more showbiz parties than Kim Kardashian Spanx and down more red carpets than a Dyson vacuum. I think you're already going to start to get a glimpse of her humor. She has been the big boss of the biggest TV shows in the world with the biggest teams, the biggest budgets, the biggest audiences, and the biggest superstars. And her content has been watched more than 8 billion times worldwide. Maz is now on a mission to help individuals and clever corporations deliver their story with the impact of a cement fist in a cashmere glove. Maz Farrelly, as you'll get to know very quickly, is also a very funny human, a down-to-earth, really gorgeous and kind human being who has so much to share, as well as the big stories from a world bigger than ours. She just has these quick grabs and insights that I know you're going to be grabbing your notepad and writing them down. Welcome to episode two with Maz Farrelly. So right now, I would love to welcome Maz Farrelly as our next guest on Raise 1000 Voices, the podcast. Hello, Maz. How are you, my darling? I am amazing. I have the opportunity to spend some time with you. We get to hang out for the next 30 minutes or so, which is so much fun. And speaking of hanging out, where in the world are you right now? I am, It's so funny. Well, it's not so funny. But every time I'm on a Zoom or a call, people say to me, where in the world are you? So today I am on Koh Samui in Thailand. Nice. In a lovely resort on the beach, just had breakfast. And a very busy day ahead of me, finishing off a book and maybe a tiny little walk around the shops. It could possibly happen if I can muster up the energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a mix when you're in Thailand, isn't it? Shops, relax by the pool, have a massage, do some more work. So many options. I'm doing I'm doing no work for three days. Like I've banned myself from doing any work for three days, nothing. And I haven't had three days in a row I haven't worked you know, done something for a really long time. So it's really nice, this not working business. Yeah, I think we all should schedule a little bit more of that into our lives, shouldn't we? Yeah. So speaking of speaking of work, sorry to interrupt, but speaking of work, for the audience that don't know the amazing Maz Farrelly and don't know yet the impact that you're going to have on their world, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you got to where you are now? Yes. So my favourite topic, me. <laughs> I started life as, well, I trained as a journalist and trained in fashion. And I wasn't a great journalist, I'll be honest. The first 
time I had to write something, it was an obituary for Laura Ashley. Do you know who Laura Ashley is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's, yeah, she's very famous in the UK. She was as loved as the Queen. And for anyone who doesn't know who Laura Ashley is, she did soft furnishings and clothes. Uh, she did a lot of soft furnishings. And her obituary, we had, so I was given the task and we had our meeting. So everyone's sitting around the table. It's my first day. And they said, oh, yeah, and Laura Ashley's obituary. And I said, yes, I've called it It's Curtains for Laura, which I thought was really funny. Nobody else laughed. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I thought it was. It was the first time I really understood audiences that I thought, oh, it's not about me and what I want to say, because obviously I like funny stuff. It's about them and what they want to hear or watch yeah, and engage with. It was a very good lesson. And then I was a fashion stylist, which was the best job on earth and absolutely fabulous, was based on my agent. So I really did genuinely go. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, to, I flew uh, first class everywhere, stayed in amazing hotels like, you know, the Grand in Paris and the Grand on Lake Como. And, you know, it was absolutely amazing. Naomi Campbell did her first ever job with me. So I started, it was my first job out of school and I was sort of doing it while I was still at school because I was always very ambitious and interested and then I got a job in telly that's a leap and for anyone who's a Brit yeah who's listening or watching I worked on this morning so that's my first job and Richard and Judy were the hosts and they were like royalty absolute royalty and my first day in telly they sent me away. I think they sent me to Dublin to do a job. And I stayed in this hotel and I thought it was revolting. I thought I must be in the wrong hotel because I've been staying in the Grand Hotel <laughs> Lake Como, you know, flying around the world. And I called them up and said, um, I think I might be in the wrong hotel. This is an old person's phone. Young people always go, old, I'm an old person. I think I'm in the wrong hotel. And they said, is it awful? I said, yes, it is. It's absolutely awful. And they said, you're in the right hotel. Welcome to telly. And since then, I have made... Oh, I don't know. Probably, I mean, I've put something like 12,000 people on screen or on a podcast or on a stage. Yeah. So I've probably produced about 12,000 people to be the best version of them they can be on screen. Love that. And many things like The X Factor, Big Brother, Dancing with the Stars, The Celebrity Apprentice, The Fun What's a Wife. Um, and I helped create Q&A for the ABC, which is the one everyone likes because yeah. generally they hate all the others. Yeah. <laughs> love hate, love hate, love hate. <laughs> Although they are very they are very successful shows. Yeah, the thing that I think is really important is whether you love it or hate it, you know it. Yeah, and if, absolutely. Yeah, if people don't know you or your business, you're in real trouble. So now, understanding that, I help people be noticed and deliver their message, as I like to say, with the impact of a cement fist and a soft cashmere glove. So I help companies be interesting, not because I am, because as you know, Jacqueline, if we were stuck in a lift, you would long to plummet to your own certain death, (laughs) rather than spend an hour with me talking about myself. So I know I'm not interesting, but I help other companies and um, individuals be interesting. Because see previous, if people don't know about you, they don't know about you and you're in trouble. Yeah, and I really love that because I think actually when we first met, which is a few years ago now, I think it's actually when the world fell off a cliff, it was that particular weekend, wasn't it, as we went charging into a pandemic. (laughs) And we were talking about the fact your big thing then, your big message then was stopping beige, right? So don't be beige. So can you tell me a bit more about that and the audience about that? 
Yeah, people are very afraid to not stand out, but just be a little bit different. And you'll see it in school. Yeah. You know, children want to be like each other and teenagers want to be like each other. And when they do, I just can't notice you. And uh, I can't remember who it was who said in the field of a thousand cows, there's one purple one, the one you notice, the purple cow. Seth Godin. Seth Godin. Yes. And it's such a smart thing. When I used to do casting, and I've interviewed, I think at last count, we made it about 10,000 people. So I've done about 10,000 interviews with people. When people walk in, if they say the same things as everyone else, when they leave the room, you can't remember a single thing they've said. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. But the people who are interesting will say something that's just slightly different. And it doesn't have to be big jazz hands. Yeah. Because there's room for everybody in the world. And sometimes you don't want big jazz hands. No. Sometimes you just want quiet and considered. But if you don't deliver your message in a way that I can repeat when you've left the room, how are you in business? Love that. Yeah. I love that. Actually, if we, it's okay if we go back to jazz hands. Because one of the stories, just speaking about that weekend, that's actually eliciting a lot of memories right now. But if we think about that weekend, you also, I remember in a conversation, you talked about the woman, like, you know, you're saying it doesn't have to be jazz hands and amazing. And you're talking about there was a woman who came in, I think it was for Big Brother to audition, and she actually opened with I'm Just Boring. Oh. And she got your attention immediately. Yeah, I really loved her. Because I give everyone the same brief in casting. And I know it for I've said it 50 million times. Tell me why you were different. Yeah. Tell me why you were different to all the other people out there. Don't tell me you're the life and soul of the party, a real proven person. You're only one of them that's going to give it 110%. This is the most important day of your life. You really want to meet people. <laughs> Don't tell me that. Because if you do, you sound like everybody. Mm. You sound like everyone. I can't remember you. Tell me why you were different. Why should I put you on the show and not everybody else? Because everybody is different. And this woman walked in, and I, and I would say to them, you know, tell me why you're different, tell me why you're interesting. She said, mm, the thing about me that is really interesting is nothing. And the thing that's different about me is absolutely nothing. I live in Concord, which is the median suburb in Sydney. I live in a house that is the median price. I drive a Ford Focus. I have 2.5 children. I even have average blood pressure. There is nothing interesting or different about me. If you wanted to do a poll of all Australia, come to my house, have a cup of tea, chat to me, because I am so average, it's not funny. And you just love this woman. Yeah. You go, oh my God, I'd go for a drink with you. Yeah. And I can repeat it. And this would be 20 years on. Yeah. So when people speak in what I call sticky information, we remember it. Yeah. And you know yourself, you know, if you go to a party, you go to a conference and someone, you know, you say, what do you do? And they say, and I'm an accountant. You're going to go, oh, right, okay, I'm just going to go and jump off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Let me exit stage right. But you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you don't come back. But if they said something like, I help companies not go to jail mm. and make a ton of money in a very creative and clever way, I find business opportunities for savings. You go, oh, yeah, let's chat. Yeah. How do you do that? You lean in, don't you? Yeah. How do you do that? If someone says to you, that's interesting. You've got them. Yeah. And it's your job to make sure they say, that's interesting. It's not their job to be interested. It's your job to be interesting. And if you are, it's the start of a business. And you think every business on earth, yeah. from the pool that's outside my window to the desk that I'm sitting at, to the chair I'm sitting at, all of these, everything in your house right now started with one sentence that was interesting enough to get someone's attention. Yeah. Everything on earth, 
you think Uber only exists and Apple only exists because the first line was interesting. Do you remember the iPod? Yeah. A thousand songs in your pocket. I know, that one line. It was like, whoa, head blown. <laughs> like brain explosion. Genius. Now, they could have said, it's, you know, an MP4, it's, you know, the technology is this, 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 and it will store an enormous number of, you know, no, thousand songs in your pocket. You go, yeah. I'll buy that. Yeah. The other one, couldn't repeat it, don't remember it, don't care, don't understand. And there was another one before they came along. Like there was another one that we all had, which no one remembers, which is what we don't want. So translating that a little bit, because we are really talking about raising the voices of women and really how, what are the things that you see women doing that keep them in the beige zone? I can actually adopt that now, like keeping in the beige zone. Yeah, I think we're a little apologetic still. Yeah. I think something to keep a very close eye on is language mm. that we say things like, um, I just, you know, I just run. I had a woman say to me once, I just run five companies. I just. Just. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think she was a parent as well. Like, <laughs> hey, how'd you find the time to have sex? <laughs> on earth you managed to have children i just run five companies and we all burst out laughing Mm. and uh, i said could you take out the word just Mm. and put amazingly comma i run five companies Mm. because changing those two words wow don't i love you when you say you know amazingly i run five companies rather than i just run five companies because when you say just i think well you obviously don't run them terribly well yeah. You know, why would you say just or <laughs> I only? You know, I'm just a, you know, I'm just an accountant. I'm just a. Yeah. So I'd say lose that. We're apologetic in our language. We apologize a lot. We say sorry way too much. Yeah. We have to read every situation very carefully because we have to stay safe. Yeah. So I think that takes up quite a lot of bandwidth. And often we behave in a certain way that keeps us safe that we don't really want to. Yeah. But I think how many times have you? Yeah, how many times have you been in a conversation that you thought was quite dull? Yeah. But you stay because it's polite. Oh, uh, so many I times. I don't think men do that with us. No. I think uh, they just don't do it. I think also people still say things like cry like a girl or, you know, a very emotional woman. Mm. And in my, you know, my life and all the uh, big shows that I've run, I don't find women very emotional at all. I find women very strong, yeah, very calm, very considered. I find that women work really well as a team, that they will put the project before themselves, which is your job at work. It's you know not about you. It's about the project. Yeah. Uh, so I think there are so many things that are very positive about us, but I think we have to be very careful with our language. We have to be very careful to apply for jobs we don't think we'll get. Yeah. I think that's really important. That's one of the biggest things. Yeah, because we tend to apply kind of slightly backwards. I've never done that. (laughs) I always think. But genuinely, I think if someone else has done it, then I can. I do remember I was in my background, I've done a lot of different things, and I was CEO of a traffic control company for a while, which kind of surprises people because they meet me now and it's like, you were what? And But one of the things that was really interesting was I was speaking as part of that role at different events. And at one of the events, a a very well-known high-level executive, male executive from an organization got up and it wasn't an industry event, it was a different event. And his question from the floor in the Q&A was, how did you know you could do it? And I actually didn't understand the question. It was like, how did I know I could do what? And he said, well, how did you know you could be CEO of a traffic control company? And it was like... (laughs) 
why should I have doubted it? And he was like, and I was genuinely confused because it was actually the first time I really ran smack back up against it, right? And he was like, well, I'm just trying to understand how you had the confidence to go for it when you had no background in it. And I just said to him, I said, I could see a challenge. I, When I first was approached by the headhunter, I thought he was an idiot and I laughed at him. I said, but then I went and had a look at it and I realized it was the same business model as I've done before over and over again. It just had different language and different regulations and I thought I could give it a shot. And his words back to me from the floor were, I think you're the first woman I've ever heard that from, right? Yeah, yeah. And I always forget about that interaction, but I think we need to bring that to the surface because we need to have that ability to go, you know what, I'm going to give that a shot. It's it's absolutely true. I A company approached me about speaking and I they said, you know, so this is the rate that we pay. And I said, right, well, I'm double that. Mm. And they just started laughing. And the lady said, we've never paid a woman that amount. And I said, why? She said, because they've never asked. Yeah. And it absolutely just, it broke my heart a little bit. Mm. And I said, have you paid guys? And she said, oh, yeah, because they ask for it. I've never had a woman ask for that much money. Very, very famous company. I think that there are certain things we can do to boost each other and ourselves. Yeah. One of them I heard on, um, there's a great group called the Georgie Collective run by my friend Matilda. She's a genius. And she had a speaker on a a Zoom in the middle of COVID. And it's mainly all women. Uh, There are a few guys. And one of the women, the female speaker, and forgive me, I can't remember her name, but she said one of the things that she does at work and they have a pact that they will do it for each other is if I say a brilliant idea in a meeting and a guy repeats it, some one of the women will say, oh, Maz, brilliant. Now, can we just circle back to when Maz said, said that originally? So, Peter, thank you for bringing it up again. So, Maz, you had the original idea there and you said it. Can you tell us where that came from? And can you tell us how you see this being implemented? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you suddenly. Yeah. And it's brilliant because I'm guessing. It is so simple. It's really simple. And rather than sitting there seething, as I have so many times in my career, I think, oh, I just said that. And you sound so churlish. Yeah. If, you know. So now, you know, well, in the old days when I was in telly, I would say, thank you for repeating that. So. The original idea that I had was this. Yeah. And I, I claim it back because I think, no, can't have that. And I think also just picking people up on their language. I had a boss on the TV show, can't say which one it was. And I'm very creative. I have very good ideas. I'm not going to do your budget. I'm not going to do your schedule. But <laughs> basically. Yeah, that's um, up to you. I'll, yeah, I'll do the ideas. Into that. <laughs> and he used to say in meetings, he'd say, that's not a bad idea. That's not, that's not a bad idea. And one of the other people working on the show said to me, does that bother you? I said, yeah. Yeah. And he went, oh, okay. So the next time this guy said it, another guy, my friend said, that's a brilliant idea. You know, oh, you must stop saying it's not a bad idea. These ideas are incredible. They're really amazing ideas. And actually, we do all of them. So we must start saying, brilliant idea. Let's just, let's just give her a tick. You know, and just say brilliant. And I think when you do it yourself as a woman, you're sometimes seen as a bit difficult. Yeah. But when you have the support 
especially of other guys, very important because we know we want change. But if change is going to happen, everyone has to come to the party. And we have to, you know, we have to have conversations that are quite difficult. Mm. And I had one a couple of months ago, maybe six months ago, with a friend's husband who is a really lovely man. And he was talking about Brittany Higgins. And he said, you know, what do you think about, you know, her being drunk? And I said, all right, have you ever been drunk? He said, yeah. I said, all right, were you raped? He said, what are you talking about? Yes, I just, I'm going out tonight. Just want to check how many drinks can I have that's acceptable for me not to be raped? And then what's the tipping point at which you can rape me? It's fine to rape me. Is it seven, five? Because I think all women should know this. We should all know the number of drinks you think it's okay for me to have before you rape me. And he said, look, you know, I'm not being like that. I said, no, 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 I'm completely, but you, you know, you brought it up. Has your daughter ever been drunk? He said, well, yeah. I said, if your friend raped her at that point, would you talk to your friend about it and say it was unacceptable or not? Would you think, oh, well, she was drunk. Fair game. And I think we're very careless sometimes with our language. And we, you know, there's lots of reporting. A woman was murdered today Mm. by her partner. You think, no, you've got to say, a husband killed his wife today. Yeah. A man killed his partner today. Mm. We're not being killed. No. We're being killed. Yeah. You know, it's not my fault. You know, it's not something I've invited. It's something that has happened to me. Yeah. And I spoke to a friend who works at the ABC and I said this to her. And then she said, you know, I didn't even notice we were doing it. Yeah. And it is unconscious. And this is, you know, even in some of the work that we do within our with our women that we work with to really because the first thing we have to do is actually unlock their inner voice. So their inner voice is their biggest demon. And it's really interesting because the words that they use, they're using unconsciously, and they're usually words that have been given to them by somebody else. They haven't even consciously chosen these words running inside and looping in their brains, you know, and I find it incredible. And by deliberately going after those words that they're using internally and shifting them, we're creating complete transformation in how they show up in the world simply because we change their inner dialogue. That's it, you know. Yeah, it's absolutely vital and it's vital, I think, to question, Yeah, you know, to not accept the status quo. My friend's husband is the loveliest man living. Yeah, He is the most charming, lovely man. And at the end of the conversation, obviously, he was very confronted. He said, I've never really thought about it. Yeah. I said, I think about it all the time because I have to. Yeah. I wish I didn't. But I think, yeah, we have to be very careful just accepting the status quo. Language. I call it white noise. You know, it's the white noise that you kind of go, oh, I wish she was drunk. And that's the full stop. And you think, oh, it was her fault? Yeah. What? Yeah. Can you hear yourself? Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite mad, isn't it? It is mad. We don't even think about it. No, and we don't. And even going back to your beautiful, and I hope the audience takes away that example of what you can do in a boardroom to support each other or in a room of other businesswomen, whatever it might be. You know, one of my girlfriends, and I won't say what company she was working for, but she was in a global VP role in North America. And we were all catching up for a wine and she was downloading. She'd had exactly that scenario, which you've had as well, where she presented an idea. It was kind of like glossed over and then the man represented it later in the meeting. And she was did what so many of us have done. She 
fumed and she was furious, but quietly. No one knew. She made sure she was professional and no one could see just how pissed off she was. And then, and I've actually written an article about this that's on LinkedIn. And then we're all having a drink, as you do. And what do you do when you're drinking? You download your vents, you like bitch and moan. And all of a sudden I looked at her and I said, so none of the men in the room know that this really got to you. And she's a highly respected executive. And she looked at me, she said, what do you mean? I said, so how do we change this if no one knows, if we know that you're pissed off, but the men in that room have no idea, right? And it was like a light bulb went off for all of us. It was like, you know, we don't want to be aggressive and it's not about sounding churlish, but finding strategies like you just described from your amazing girlfriend, like finding those sorts of strategies are actually what we need to do to make sure that we throw a light on it because they're actually not aware either most of the time. Totally. And I'm going to be uh, your mum now and say something you're not going to like very much, but even saying we get together and we bitch and moan, we don't. Mm. We really, really don't. We don't bitch and moan. That was a business conversation with friends. Love that. Thank you for the pickup. But it's true. We're very clear about what we want. Yeah. You know, we have boundaries and we're professional. And, you know, people kind of go, oh, she's got a bad attitude. You think, no, I've got boundaries and I have an opinion. Yeah. And so do you. You know, so do we all. But somehow it's very easy to kind of say, you know, we put two women together in the room. It's a nightmare, isn't it? And you think, never in my career, never. Best team I ever had was 100% women. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I did Ready, Steady, Cook. And everyone on the team, except for one person, was a woman. We laughed our way through that show and we doubled the figures. Unheard of in television to double figures. Yeah. You sometimes, you know, a 4% increase is one of a 10%, you know, oh my goodness, we doubled the figures. Yeah. We worked really, really hard. We never had a bad word. We laughed ourselves insane all the time. I think, you know, if a woman is behaving badly, what I would consider to be, you know, in a way that other women wouldn't really like. I think it's normally because she's been, you know, just bashed around a bit. Yeah. And unfairly, a bit like your friend that you think, yeah, yeah, we've got to, when we meet those women, we've got to really support them because yeah. when you're really happy, you're lovely to everyone. And when you're not really happy, you're sometimes not as lovely. And yeah. when people are, you know, behaving badly or considered to be badly, that's when they need the most love. Mm. And we've got to love them. And I think, Meeting it with kindness and love is number one. It's one of the things that we do talk about here a lot. The other thing is, is actually understanding that we can actually find a way to stand in this together. So when it comes to, you know, you've had so much exposure to so many people and so many things and so many places, what breaks your heart when it comes to women not using their voice? When they don't, their inaction affects me. but it's true when we are all together oh we're back to jumping out of an elevator again (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) but when we all push each other along and we drag each other along and we elevate each other we all do well yeah so it's there are two ways of looking at everything in life and i think of it sort of as advertising that you you know if there's a pie you can take a larger part of the pie, of course, you know, as speakers, you know, it would be nice to, you know, have a large part of the pie. But that means that actually the people that I'm working with have less of the pie. So what I always try and do is actually rather than take a brand, you know, take a share of the market, I want to expand the market. 
So I want everyone to book speakers. I want every company to understand how brilliant speakers are. So instead of us taking from each other, we are expanding our business and we're all working. And it's just a tiny tweak to how you think. Yeah. So I'm going to steal your business. I want all of us to do well. And I think when women think like that about each other, we think if one woman does really well, it means we all do. Yeah. It means we will all do really, really well. And, you know, you look back at Julia Gillard's misogyny speech. It's not that long ago. No, it's not. It's not that long ago. And you think we thought it was okay for her to be spoken to. In that manner. Like that. You know, yeah, that there wasn't an absolute... I mean, there was an uproar about it because we're still talking about it, but, you know, it's staggering. But only because she was intelligent and strong enough to stand in that space and come back at it, right? Yes. That's why we're still talking about it, because she held ground. Yeah, and I think also let's not describe each other in terms of our physical, the way we look. Yeah. And it happens a lot. It used to happen a lot in casting that... You know, it, I did one big show, I and mean, I've done a lot of casting, so you can't guess which one it is. <laughs> but it was me and everyone else was a guy about my age. So you can imagine it was very different. You know, we approached casting very differently. And most, and this is, you know, a long time ago, 15, 20 years ago, most of the guys, just because this is the way the world was, described women in terms of their physical appearance. And they didn't do it with the guys, so I did. Yeah. How did that go? You know, they'd say, she looked great, you know, she looked great in a bikini next to the pool. And because I wanted to point out to them what they were doing, I'd say, he looks like he's got a massive schlong. Imagine him in trunks. I mean, every woman in the country would be just going, oh, my goodness. And they would look at me like I was out of my sweet mind. <laughs> and I'd say, oh, sorry, I thought we were talking about, I thought we were talking about each other physically. Are we not? They go, well, women don't think like that. I said, well, I'm at a slight advantage given that I am a woman. And we do think like that. We just don't tell you. Yeah. And it, they just were so shocked by it. But I kind of wanted to say it. And I think every time we do speak up, we speak up. And when I did, I did Big Brother, five Big Brothers, but we did one year when we went out and it was open auditions. We would have interviewed maybe two or 3,000 people. And lots of young girls would come in and say, like, I really like men, but I'm not a slut. Wow. And I'd say, okay, what's a slut? I'm foreign. I don't know. And I'd say, oh, you know. And I'd say, no, I don't. What is it? And they'd say, you know, someone who sleeps with a lot of people. And I said, oh, right, do you decide? Are you the person who decides how many people is acceptable? Because I want to know if I'm a slut. What's the number? Yeah. And they'd say, well, no, I mean, you know, it's just a lot. And I said, well, what's a lot? And actually, why is that bad? Mm -hmm. Like, aren't we supposed to like sex? Mm -hmm. Are we not supposed to? I'm really lost. I don't understand. And the other people in the room would just say, do we have to do this every time? Yeah. I'd say, do you know, I think we do, actually, because we're in a very privileged position in that they will listen to us. Yeah. And if a thousand people stop saying the word slut, isn't that a good thing? Or they at least question what they've been told, which is, you know, I had a boyfriend once say to me about Paris Hilton. Oh, she sleep with anyone. And I said, 
that sort of sounds like you're judging her like what's the number mm. and also would you like me if i didn't like sleeping with you would i have more value if i didn't enjoy sex with you because i'm really puzzled now because i thought that you would want me to want to have sex with you but you don't want me to want to have sex with you I'm so puzzled so just explain to me how this whole thing works you went oh, you know well I go, can you hear it mm. Can you hear the messages that we get all the time? And, you know, we do with guys. You know, we want strong, silent men who talk a lot and tell us their feelings. You think, how puzzling to be a man. How very, very puzzling. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we want to earn lots of money, but we want you to be our rock. But we also don't want you to be our rock because we want to be the rock. You think, God, wow. Yeah. Very, very hard to be a man. Yeah, and I think when we were being brought up to be these very strong women, no one told guys to expect some really strong women coming through. And that's really hard, really, really hard because, you know, we're in there taking their business. And I think it would be different for future generations because it won't be a surprise. Absolutely. But I think, it, you know, yeah, I see with my young adult children, I see it starting to balance a bit again. Yeah. It's quite interesting watching my children, all young adults in their 20s now, and it's interesting watching how it's unfolding, kind of like almost by osmosis. So it's kind of like we were the generation of really strong women that took men by surprise. That was almost by osmosis. And it kind of seems to be happening the same way to bring it back. I just want to wind back because you've given some brilliant examples as we've been talking of the sorts of questions that you asked to challenge some language and some colloquialisms and even my own, which has been amazing. Where has that confidence to ask those questions and that challenge, where has that come from for you? I think probably my father so my father's very my parents had me when they were old yeah so my dad would have been probably 43 my mom was 41 in the old days in old money that was old yeah it was old and they were very 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 wise yeah and my dad came from ireland so he you know from the oldie days and it was very traditional and I remember once my brother's friends coming over and my dad said something like, um, you know, would you go and make them a cup of tea? And I said, of course, but a Chris and Frank's leg's broken. And he said, oh, yeah, why did I say that? He said, yeah, don't make them a cup of tea. Chris and Frank, go make your friends a cup of tea. And I had a job. i very careful how I describe this. You can't tell who it was. <laughs> I had a job on them. Um, for a big, very, very large, not the BBC, but a very large international TV company. And the host was an absolute nightmare. And it's because he was just going through a very difficult period in his life and various other things uh, that were going on in his life. I should be very discreet here. <laughs> not often I see man's picking her words. <laughs> and I pick my words very carefully. And I always pick my words very carefully, actually. Just because I work with a lot of famous people, so I have to be very careful about what I talk about because, yeah, you know, I know a lot of secrets and, you know, I will take them to the grave. But this particular person wanted to fire all the women and I stopped him. And then he wanted to fire the other exec and I stopped him. And he, wanted, he just wanted to fire the music department, stop them. And one day he came in and he said, I can't work with you anymore. I've just decided I don't like you anymore. Went, okay. And... I thought it would pass because you know, I talked him out of firing everyone else. Unfortunately, no one <laughs> stood up for me. And I thought, right, well, okay, I'll leave. 
And it was a Friday, I think, this happened. And I went to see my parents that weekend, and I was telling my dad about it. And said, oh, it has worked. Said, oh, it's not good. I said, oh, I don't really mind. You know, this guy's crazy. Or he's not crazy. He's behaving in a slightly crazy way. And, yeah, he doesn't want me to come back anymore. And my dad said, and you're going to let him do that? He said, no, 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 you're a Farrelly. You're not going to let him do that. He said, when's your next big meeting? I said, oh, Monday morning. He said, Monday morning, what time? It's 10 o'clock. He said, okay, quarter past 10. You're going to walk in there when the meeting's underway and you're going to walk over to your seat and you're going to sit down and you're going to make it really difficult for that man because if he wants you to go, you can't just, you can't let him get away with that. You know, you've got to make it really difficult for him. So um, all weekend I was thinking, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And I was half dreading it and half really looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because I thought it was going. Two shoulders going. <laughs> I know. So you kind of go, oh, it's going to be like really difficult to do, but how funny. Yeah. How funny is it going to be when I walk in? I saw you on Monday morning, quarter past, and I walked in. And there's a guy sitting in my seat who actually is now one of my best friends, a really, really nice man. And um, I came over and I said, oh, this is my seat. And he said, yeah, it's your seat. He said, it is. I shouldn't be here. I don't even know why I'm here. This is your seat. You take it. You sit down. I'm gone. Went, Thank you so much. So I sat down and I said, right, so, you know, where are we at? And I looked at the host and he looked at me. And you can tell he just thought, how? Mm. How is she here? Mm. How is this possible that she has walked in? And anyway, so he said, you know, right, okay, so... Everyone got up, we're going to take the meeting somewhere else. And it was fine because I'd done it. And then about 10 years later, actually, I was working for a very, very, very large company. And there was an incredible job going, hosting this incredible show. And this guy's agent came in. And he was, you know, pitching him. And I said, you know, I'm not going to give him the job I said, just because he's too volatile. And I told him the story and I said, I want you to go back and I want you to make sure you tell him that I didn't give him the job, not because I'm nasty or mean or vindictive, but I do want him to understand that actions have repercussions Yeah. and you have to behave in a kind, well, you don't have to, you can do whatever you like, but if you behave in a way that's unkind and unethical, it's going to come back and bite you at some point, I think. Mm. So I do want you to go back and tell this man, I'm not doing this in the mean way, but I am doing it. And it's because I cannot have what happened to me from him happen ever again on my watch. Mm. So it's a no. And his agent very charming. Kind of, okay, yeah, I get that. You know, he has completely changed. That's, it's not a risk I'm going to take. Yeah. But thank you. Absolutely. So I think, um, I think it was my father, really. I think he trained me up to be quite fearless. Yeah. So there's two questions that come up for me out of that. And one is, what was the realization when you did actually turn up to that meeting and it did go the way that it did? What was the realization that you took away from that? Like, yes, your your dad encouraged supporters that this is what you should do, you're a Farrelly. But once you'd actually done it, what was it that you, the realization that you took away from that? So this is not deep at all. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to be. It just needs to be useful, maybe. <laughs> I thought it was really good fun amazing i thought it was fun why was that tell me about that what was the fun so before that i worked on a show called the big breakfast in the uk and one of my bosses was a guy called wahid ali 
and he's now a lord, Lord Rahid. And he's one of my favourite people on earth. And I wanted to pay Rise because they just paid all of us extraordinarily badly. But the show was so much fun. We just kept working on it because yeah. it was like going to a party every day and you get a little bit of money. You go, this is brilliant. I'm getting paid. And then you say, oh, no, it's my job. Yeah. <laughs> so I would see him and I said, I, I need a pay rise. You know, comparatively in the marketplace, we were paid so badly. We were at really long hours. And you went, I know, I'm not going to give you any more money. And um, I oh, okay. Okay. And left. Got another job. And I went to see him and I said, I've, I've taken another job. He said, what do you mean? I said, I've taken another job. It's almost double the money. He said, well, I'll double your money. I said, what do you mean? You told me I couldn't have any money. He said, yes, because you didn't negotiate really well. He said, oh. negotiation is a dance. You move forward, I move back. I move forward, you move back. And he said, it's a dance. And at some point, we will both be moving in rhythm. He said, I will offer you too little. You'll ask for too much. And he said, it's really good fun. Wow. It's really, really good fun. Your job is to get as much money out of me as you possibly can. But you've got to convince me to give you the money. I always give it to you because you've asked for it. Yeah. And he said, my job is to convince you that I'm not going to give you the money and that you're so lucky to work here for the money I'm giving you. And he said, it's a really good laugh. I love that. Treat it like it's really good fun. Yeah. You have to see what you can get out of me. Yeah. And I have to see how little I can give you. And that's what it is. And he said, but the most thing it is, is fun. And... I left his room and I was just blown away. I thought, he's right. Yeah. It's fun. I can sit there in a misery thinking, oh my God, I didn't get that money. Or I can go back in and say, so the highest rated show of the week is Friday show. I do Friday show. The one that's always in the paper is Friday show. I do Friday show. So, you know, if we didn't get this, the amount of advertising you would have to get to get those editorials, it would cost X amount of money. I'm only asking you for 200 quid a week more. Yeah. And I'm bringing in you know, £80,000 worth of advertising yeah. for you in editorial, which is much more important and much more engaging. At that point, he would go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm making 78000 a week on you. Yeah. That's good money. Yeah. You know, here's your 200 You know, it's fun. It's such a shift. And I think when I realise that, it's fun. Yes. You know, when things are a little bit, I think this, and this is going to sound crazy. I think a lot of the time we talk about being nervous and dreading things. But actually, I think what we are is really excited. Yeah. We're really excited by stuff. You know, people say, you know, I really don't want to, you know, I'm terrified of public speaking. I really don't want to do it. You think, no, you're excited by it. It's exciting. Yeah. And it means something to you. That's why, you know, yes. fear and excitement, fear and anticipation, fear and excitement had the same emotion just you label it differently yes you know I was an industrial relations consultant for a long time and did spectacularly well doing negotiations and it was unheard of this is 15 years in regional Queensland in Australia unheard of for a girl who's in her early 30s to outstrip the unions outstrip the other you know the big lawyers all that sort of stuff but I used to say to people who say because I didn't have any qualifications all that stuff people say how can you do this and especially the unions when I'd won and we'd have a beer afterwards right and it was like I just, I had a mantra and it wasn't about fun, but mantra was first you've got to learn the rules of the game, then you've got to play them better than anyone else. And it came from Albert Einstein, right? And the key part of that is it's a game that has rules, right? You were talking about a dance, right? So and it's not about you stay in the rules. It's like you understand the rules enough that you know how to bend them and shape them and have fun with them, right? I never broke the rules yeah. ever, but I danced with them. I shaped them. 
And it was all about, actually, it was just a game. Like, you know, and you're saying fun. And one of my clients I mentor in an organization in Canberra, she's completely changed her outlook at the moment because she was under immense pressure, very big organization dealing with defense and government. And the shift was, what if you treated this like a game and it was fun? Yeah. And actually, I would question this. Do you really have to know the rules? I was just going into something brand new. So I learned them to learn the landscape. But then it was just great fun to work out what I could do. Yeah, people kind of go, it's not the way, you know, I can't tell you how many TV shows I've taken over and people go, it's not how we do it. (laughs) Well, then we must keep doing it this way for the rest of our lives. Let's never change anything ever. Yeah. You know, brilliant. Let's just stay right here. Yeah. What will happen? Let's say put. Nothing. Yeah. So just winding back again, I said I had two questions before. The second question is having that formidable experience of your father kind of training you for it, like raising you for it. What about for the women listening who might not have had that training ground, that storming ground? What would you say to them about actually building this confidence, building this interest, building this ability with language and to call things out? Yeah, I wasn't born brave or fearless. I think I'm pretty fearless now, but I've trained myself. Yeah, You know, I, I mean, I, I was never a shrinking violet kid because I had two brothers and I knew that, so I was producing from a very early age. I understood that if I wanted certain things to happen, I had to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I did it. You know, I knew that I could play my father, but I just, you know, I played him. And he knew, of course, but he quite enjoyed it. You know, daddy, daddy. So I think doing tiny incremental things Mm. work and when I train people or if I speak at conferences and I say to people is there anyone here who is nervous of public speaking and generally most of the hands go up and I say and I think I stole this from the Tim Ferriss podcast I certainly stole it from someone I think it was Tim Ferriss he did this thing he said to train himself up to be brave he used to go for coffee and he'd ask for 10% off, which is embarrassing to do, but very, very, very good. So I do it and I give them really fun reasons for it because I always think it's nice to have a laugh if you possibly can. Yeah. So I would say, you know, can I have 10% off? And they go, 10, sorry. And I say, yeah, I'm saving up to buy a child <laughs> or I'm saving up for a very messy divorce and my partner doesn't know. So I'm just saving up. Or I want a really enormous diamond. And generally, they will say, oh, okay, yeah. So asking for 10% off is quite embarrassing. Mm. And the embarrassment muscle is the only one that gets weaker with use. Oh, I love that. I hope everyone's listening to this. Yeah. Yeah, use it as much as you can. If you're really afraid of public speaking, the next time you're in a lift, you know, start a conversation, well, you off to anywhere nice. If you see someone who's dressed beautifully, Say it to them. You know, you look absolutely beautiful today. Just that I tell you. Start conversations. Do it in a very safe way, obviously. Yeah. But do it. Talk. Talk to people. Notice nice things. Mm. You know, if you notice nice things about people and you tell them, you feel great, they feel great. Yeah. Share it. Do one tiny thing every day that scares you a little bit whilst being safe. So I'm not suggesting you walk through a cemetery playing the trumpet at two in the morning. (laughs) Not a great move. Not a great move. If you are at a conference, ask a question. And of course your heart will be pounding. Mm. But the next time it'll pound a little less. And after 10 times it won't pound at all. Love that. Your embarrassment muscle will weaken. 
with use. Yeah. And you've got to do it. You've got to, you know, Tommy Farrelly saying, you will walk into that room. Not the beginning of the meeting. You're going to walk in at quarter past when the meeting's underway. So my dad was a producer. Yeah. You know, and you're going to sit there and you're going to take the meeting over. And I've had, you know, being in the media at the level I was at, you know, some very confronting times. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't easy. It's a tough old industry. And I was in it when it was, you know, it wasn't easy to be a very senior woman. I was the most senior woman in most rooms I walked into. You know, I didn't have role models, really. I didn't have anyone yeah. to, you know. All, Ahead of you. All of my bosses, yeah, were, I think every single boss I'd had was a guy. So, so yeah, it was tough. Mm. But I just navigated it. And I'm not stronger than anyone who's listening now. And I'm not, I wasn't born, you know, the ability to stand up in the room and talk. I just chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. Like a piece of, like a sculpture. Yeah. You chip away all the stuff. And then suddenly there's, you know, something amazing underneath. And you go, just chip away, chip away, chip away. Love that. And you'll find yourself in there. But you have to do it. Well, you don't have to. Yeah, you have to do it. If you want, you know, the things that you want in life. If you choose to do it. Yeah. If you choose to do it. If it's what you want, then it's a way of getting what you want. I also, yeah, and I do talk to people like it's not actually about, and you would find this as well, not actually about saying, do you want to be a speaker on a stage? It's like, what do you want? Because teaching you how to speak teaches you persuasion and influence and language and positioning. And even if you just want your children to get out of bed sooner in the morning, it's worth investing in the skill of speaking and skill of influence and skill of persuasion. And even if you, especially women will tell me all the time, if songs that make a difference in one person's life, that's okay. It's like, and I call bullshit on that. I'm kind of like, no, all you're saying that for is because you don't understand how to actually bring people into agreeing with your idea or liking your idea. It's that articulation that brings others in, not sends them away, that is what we're actually teaching people. Yeah, and I think also... So you said something earlier about, you know, I wasn't qualified for the job. I wasn't qualified for, but you are. Yeah. And if I only did jobs I was qualified for, I wouldn't work. You know, I was, yeah. <laughs> you know, I trained as a journalist. I'm not qualified for this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know, Technically. my qualifications, tiny. I did journalism, art, and fashion. <laughs> You're one of those degrees. <laughs> I know. So I'd have a degree. But pretty much everyone who ever worked with me did. Yeah. You know, but I think if you understand people and you're very interested in people, you understand how people work. Yeah. That's your greatest qualification in life. And you said it earlier. You said what it was is I I took the skills from my previous career. You think Mm. that's all anything is. Yeah. And every show I have ever made, and I've made hundreds or thousands of shows, all of them are about people yeah and q a is about people asking questions and big brother is about people sitting in a room and talking to each other and ready steady cook is about people cooking and the x factor is people dancing and celebrity apprentice is people you know doing business things it's just all about people it doesn't matter i've made shows about architecture and sport i made so many different genres of shows and they've all been number one because I understand people. Yeah. I understand what audiences want. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't born knowing it. I've worked very, very hard to work out what does the audience want and how do we deliver it to them in a way that they would like it. And 
that is business and that is negotiation and that is everything in life. And you are overqualified for every job because you have a unique understanding of people. Mm. So it doesn't matter if I, you know, I could employ as a producer tomorrow mm. and you do it, you know, 10 minutes you'd know how to work a camera and yeah you know but you understand people i could put you into you know politics tomorrow i could have you running a mine tomorrow it doesn't really matter what the job is if you understand negotiation you like people yeah and you get them to work together to a common goal you know every qualification you need in life you kind of have it yeah unless of course you're a doctor in which case you do need to know. There are some things you need technical <laughs> skills for. A, a couple of things. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a pilot, and it's possibly not about understanding people. It's about understanding controls of plane. Yes. But yeah, lots of jobs I think are um, yeah. they're about people. So what is it? What do you think you're like, if you had to nominate, and I could talk to you all day and we're probably going to have to bring it to a little bit of a close, but, you know, <laughs> as always, I can talk to you forever. You. So when you think about, you know, understanding what audiences want, understanding how ideas will land and understanding how to connect with people through the spoken word, which is what you're now doing in most of your work, what do you think your superpower is that elevates your skill in that? What is your superpower, Maz? I can take very complicated information and make it very simple. Amazing. And so I can write the introduction to a show. I can write a mission statement for a company. I can help people describe who they are and deliver information in a way that is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So that people are fascinated by you. They're interested in you. I think that would be my superpower. And also, I really, really, I'm going to sound like an old Miss World. (laughs) I really love people. Yeah, really fascinated by people. I, you know, I'm the person that gets in an Uber, and by the time I've arrived at the airport, I know everything about that person, and they've told me, you know, everything in their lives, and I'm truly, truly interested. I just, yeah, I'm yeah. very curious. I'm just interested in life. I'm interested. Sometimes I get sad because I think, well, there are books I won't read, and there are places I won't yeah. go to, and people I won't meet, and ah. Oh, you know, I've only got a certain amount of time to do it all. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to squeeze as much in as I can. I love that. So on that, you've had this extraordinary career. You do have this superpower, which is amazing. What's the worst piece of advice you've actually been given along the way? Because we all get landed with feedback and critique and advice that we don't necessarily ask for. I mean, you know, I, on a lot of shows, <laughs> I was called things, like genuinely in meetings, people would say, and now over to the perfume steamroller. <laughs> uh, what was the other one I was called on? And over to the lipstick Rottweiler. And I think, wow, you would never say that to a guy in the room. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, so I don't know. Bad advice. I just don't listen. I mean, I've, I, it's terrible things. Like I listen to very little advice. Love that. Yeah, I remember there's a guy in the UK called Len Goodman. He did Dancing with the Stars in the UK and in the States. He was one of the judges, the head judge. I really, really like him a lot. We used to have a right laugh. We'd sit outside the BBC smoking cigars, bizarrely. And he used to say, opinions are like assholes, Maz. Everybody's got one. Yeah. And I kind of think, yeah, I I don't really take on board what people think about me. Love that. I'm very, I think I trained myself because... When you make shows like Big Brother, Mm. people really attack you. Yeah. And I would say, look, you know, I employ a thousand people. And if I make that show really well, I employ them for two years. If I make it really well, I employ them for three years. 
make it really well, we'll get five years out of it. It means that all those thousand people have some security Yeah. that when the show finishes, if it's the number one show, they know they can pay the mortgage next year. Now, that is very important to me. And I love that the audience likes it, but I'm also very, very keen. You know, I love that Q&A is still going. Yeah. It's been going for maybe 10 years. For 10 years, those people have had employment. Yeah. And that is very, very important to me. So I think, yeah, I don't really take on... I actually, I'm hoping that everyone's really listening to that because it is actually, I talk now and again about the fact that every time I go and do something that works beautifully and that I love and I fall in love with, it's because I'm not listening to the opinions of others. And it's one of the things that I see, it's almost like, one of my clients the other day actually put together that she created this beautiful metaphor about the patchwork girl and how you keep sewing up patches from other people until the cloak gets really heavy. And that is, it's usually well-intentioned advice that we're picking up that we should actually let go of. Oh. So I really love that that insight. Totally. I think so many people have an opinion mm. and yeah, good for them. But I think I always say to people when they start in telly, write down who you are ethically and stick with it because you'll be asked to do things that you think are unethical and if you can say i'm so sorry that doesn't align with my values and i've written them down i wrote them down the first day in television and i promised myself i'd never veer from them so i'm afraid i can't do that but you know ask someone else they probably might yeah and i can't tell you i've probably said that a thousand times in my career where i've said you know i'm really sorry it doesn't align with my values and i wrote them down a very long time ago so I know that I was a very good daughter to my parents. I'm a very good friend, I'm a nice sister, I'm a nice auntie. I do my best. I'm kind. You know, I think I'm a good friend. And people I don't know having an opinion on me, you know, very low on my scale of care factor. <laughs> Zero, really. You know, and, you know, I had very public jobs. So, you know, a lot of people had a lot of opinions about me, I think. Yeah. Look, you know, I'm a nice woman doing my best. Yeah. And, you know, people would say to me, like, oh, you know, I never thought, wow, you know, you run Big Brother. I always thought it'd be some, you know, tattooed, angry woman. <laughs> Perception. You know, no, I'm just, yeah. yeah, I'm just, you know, you. I just do a different job. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a particularly easy one, but it's also, you know, I'm not mm. a care worker looking after old people or working down the mine. So, yeah, it's pretty cruisy. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap this out, Maz, I love the strength and the conviction that you have. And for those women who are looking to uncover and unlock them, that within themselves and be able to speak up, what's your final words of wisdom? Take one tiny step every day mm-hmm. and know that everything you need to be the person you want to be, you already have. And it isn't about the size of your thighs. Like, really, don't bother about what you look like. It just doesn't matter. Not at all. Yeah, you know, if you think, you can walk into a room and you can think you're red hot and have some swagger, or you can walk into a room and you can be apologetic for the size of your bum. Now, you're still walking into the room and the people are going to look at you and they're going to think you're great. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's different is your attitude to yourself. So I walk into every room thinking, I'm in the room. Yeah. I'm not the best person in the room. I'm not the worst. I'm just in the room. Yeah. Yeah, just get on with it and just don't, yeah, get out of your own way. Don't set barriers for yourselves. Just yeah, do it. Yeah, I do love that. Do one little thing every day, which is also winding back to that first advice of just do one little brave thing every moment. 
So I do love that. Maz Farrelly, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I think we've gone over time. I don't think anyone's going to care. I think we spoke for about four weeks. I do (laughs) apologise. Nothing I like hearing more than the sound of my voice. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Well, then I'm glad that I was able to oblige. (laughs) Thank you so much, Maz. Thanks, my darling. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Raise 1000 Voices. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you have, then I would love you to subscribe to and rate the show on your favorite platform. Our show notes, resources, and links to all our socials can be found at anygiventuesday.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to join a growing community of clever, creative, and courageous women who know that they want to be seen, heard, and remembered, then join us in our Facebook group, Raise 1000 Voices. Until we speak again, take care and remember, you were born to raise your voice.